I'm Joe. I'm Josh, and this is Video Dropbox, a movie chat podcast where your hosts take turns challenging each other to browse a unique section of the video store and select a video in under one minute. If a title is not selected in time, we'll have to hit the Video Dropbox and defer to What's in the Basket. So, Joe, you challenged me to pick an alien abduction film. Yeah, well, I used this challenge as kind of a catharsis because I've said there are two movies that I'll never go back to because they're too much for me. It, one's David Cronenberg's The Fly, and the other one is Fire in the Sky, which I feel has now reached legendary UFO abduction status. But for this challenge, well, I went back to Fire in the Sky, and it is interesting in that the whole gross alien abduction sequence that everyone I feel that's our age and may have seen this at around the same time when they're an impressionable youth, uh, it's only 10 minutes of the movie, which is so clearly inspired by Jacob's Ladder. I mean, it's still a very effective sequence. It's fantastic. Um, I was just going to ask if it still holds up. It does. Uh, and I feel I used to be more freaked out by, because they put this sheet over him and it does something where it like hardens, like that's messed up. And I feel I used to be bothered because there's a needle that's going like right into his eye and it's edited really well. But this time around, I feel what is the most effective is before that, they put this like black gelatinous goo in, down his throat so they can stick this like pipe down there too. And that's just gross. I specifically remember seeing this movie because this was the era where my parents, you know, I, I think I mentioned this before, my, my dad was hijacking HBO. Mm -hmm. um, so he made a point to literally put like a tape in on like those Saturday, Saturday nights and record from like 5 p.m. to like 10 at night, whatever was going like back to back. And then he just label whatever the movies are. And then we'd watch whatever it is, like roll the dice. And I know for a fact, like we watched Fire in the Sky, not knowing anything about it and thinking, holy shit, because I was way too young to watch that. And then where I'm going with this is Joe for probably a month. I used to go to my friends up the street all the time and play until it got dark. You know, the typical story of like, come back when the, you know, the street lights turn on and whatever. Mm hmm so I was terrified to ride my bike this short distance from their house to my parents' house because I was convinced that at any given moment there would be a giant spotlight over my head and I would be abducted and be subjected to all this cruel, insane shit. And I know that sounds crazy, but I was 100% convinced like I have to have someone with me at all times at night because otherwise I'm going to be abducted. Was there anything that else that you watched in addition to extraterrestrial? Yeah, so I made a point to watch McPherson tapes. I think that's oh. how you say it, because I had been hearing a lot about it. And I don't know, like I just, I, I wanted again to watch something that had that phenomenon like Blair Witch, where people were legitimately thinking it was real. And I liked it. I thought it was good. I wasn't like terribly terrified, but I... I found it really fascinating because if anyone doesn't know what this is, it's a found, it's, I believe, claims now that it's like one of the first found footage horror films, correct? It's, yeah, it's in like the first five. Like, I feel it, it's claims like the first found footage horror movie, but there were a few random ones before that. But because, yeah, this was 1989. Yeah. And I, I was just talking to someone at work about this, like watching McPherson tapes in 2023 on a 4K TV is not really the ideal way to watch it. I think this is just like 
similar to Fire in the Sky, one of those things that you had to experience when it came out because there was no internet. And I just, I'm more fascinated by that, that it became more of a word of mouth thing. And I also think that watching a film like that on a VHS tape in like mm-hmm. probably these small little TVs had more of an impact because you're seeing a little less, it's hard to, you know, it's very like Texas Chainsaw Massacre in that way that you're like, what, what is this? I can't see. It's just so hard to see, but like feeling the hysteria and manic energy from this family while also just trying to decide for yourself, is this real? Is this not real? Because you and I are lucky enough to go through the Blair Witch phenomenon. I just had to see this iconic film because I love the lore of it. I don't know. It makes me kind of want, wish I could go back in time and experience it because I can feel that sort of energy, like I said, where people were probably passing around these bootleg VHS because it doesn't sound like it was easily accessible either. Yeah, I think it was a long time before it was kind of made more available, so... Yeah. So that whole idea, I think, is just phenomenal. And I also feel like there had to have been probably early uploads to the internet and one of those like Mm. probably uh, dial-up situations where you're like waiting to watch this video that people are like, real UFO footage. Mm -hmm. And then that alone, I think watching it on a computer screen after downloading it for what, five days probably (laughs) would be terrifying. So uh, I was just kind of wondering, what's your relationship with the Vicious Brothers? I mean, I only I probably found out who they were and what they were connected to through you because you've talked about them before. I knew of, uh, or I'd watched Grave Encounters by that time, and I might have even watched uh, it stains the stains the sands red sands red. I think I might have seen that by that point already. Yeah, the zombie one. I didn't realize they were the same. uh, Had a connection. Uh, so I feel I'm not as, you know, into their career as you, but I will say like for a favorite film, I'd say Grave Encounters. I mean, I feel they really got lucky in being the first people to go forward with that idea. Cause that idea is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's, yeah, it's like ghost encounters, but then the ghost turns out to be real. I mean, that's great. It's a fantastic, simple idea for a found footage movie. Yeah. And I think my obsession with them is just the fact that Everything they do is low budget, and yet, in my opinion, it feels like it isn't. I mean, you can tell it's not like a blockbuster budget that they're working off of, but even extraterrestrial, I'm like convinced hearing all the things in the background that they're talking about, like, oh yeah, this was all green screen, and we just had red lights in the back, and we added this and that, and this was a bitch, and we tried really hard to do this and that, and it blew me away. I mean, obviously, extraterrestrial has a higher budget than films like (laughs) Grave Encounters and Grave Encounters 2, but... The reason I am just giving them a huge shout out and why I love them is just because every film that they've done to this point is something unique and new. And I've never been bored and I've never thought, well, that wasn't great. And the idea that they may or may not be involved with a reboot of Urban Legend, like, oh, yeah. just has my mind blown <laughs> because it, you know, if, if I would want anyone to do a reboot of a beloved, slasher horror franchise i feel like they would be perfect because they have this sick dark twisted violent sense of humor they said right off the bat they were like well one of the first things that we knew we absolutely needed with extraterrestrial is this alien probe scene (laughs) it's like that's what they're thinking about i feel like you could see that in all their films because one of the things they said in the commentary is that they love movies where you take the expectation of an audience and then take it away 
the vibe that I got from them watching a bunch of their interviews after watching Extraterrestrial really feels like me and my friends hanging out in like my friend's basement when we were 17, just talking about cool shit that we would do in movies, except that uh, these two guys actually went and made films. <laughs> so, yeah. So like, I appreciate that. I'm like, oh, like they're very, I like how laid back they seem. And yeah, they don't come off as pretentious to me. I mean, one of them even said like he grew up with a poster of Ginger Snaps on his wall. And no, so I... for him to work <laughs> with Emily Perkins and Jesse Moss, who plays Seth, I guess he was in Ginger Snaps as well, which I'm sorry if oh. I'm stepping on your oh, no, no. coattails of you going over the cast and crew. But yeah, they said there's, these are two people from Ginger Snaps that like, he was in heaven. Nobody invades my property when I'm expecting to fight. I'm American. It's my right to defend what's mine. And nobody, not even little green men, will take that right away from me. And you go. Go on. Go on. Well, now I'm conf. Oh, didn't even put it together. Okay, well, you looking at Jesse? I was. So, for box office, this, this movie it didn't really, as far as I could tell, have like a set theatrical release date. It seemed like it was very much a film festival movie uh, that built up word of mouth there. Because uh, on April eighteenth, two thousand fourteen, it premiered at Tribeca and then kind of went off from there. And then a year later, on May twelfth. 2015 is when Scream Factory put it out on DVD, uh, and I imagine that's where it's found a lot of its audience. It did have a small box office gross of $71,000, because apparently in January 28th, 2016, it opened in Peru. Wow. (laughs) So I don't know why there, of all places. Uh, So then for cast and crew, well, we've been talking about the Vicious Brothers and haven't explained what that means or who they are. So that's a pair of not actual brothers, Colin Minahan and Stuart Ortiz. Uh, Minahan usually, oh, they they both write, and Minahan is usually the director and Ortiz is the producer. But I read that this extraterrestrial was the first film idea that they had, but they didn't do it at first because they thought they just didn't have the resources. And it was created... Uh, while they were at an In-N-Out. <laughs> and for the cast, so we have Brittany Allen, who is partners with Colin Minahan, and she's been in a number of their works. I know her best, probably, from the season one episode of Shit's Creek, where there's a funeral and she's in town as part of this rambunctious uh, couple staying at the hotel. Oh, that's right. And you know what? I just forgot. Like, I went on a run of watching the series The Boys on Amazon, and she's got a pretty meaty role in that, too. Hmm. Uh, and there's Freddie Stroma, who is best known as Cormac McFlagan uh, in the Harry Potter movies. And then, as you mentioned, Jesse Moss, who, yeah, was in Ginger Snaps in an awesome role. I recognized him as the friend who dies first on the roller coaster in Final Destination 3. They reference that in the commentary. Yeah. I'd never put that together. I'm like, oh, I totally missed Ginger Snaps when looking him up. So I was I was happiest to see him pop up here. But then we also have Emily Perkins, as we said, from the original Ginger Snaps shows up for a little bit. Uh, Michael Ironside in a million roles, one of which being Starship Troopers. And then, strangely, Jacob Tremblay has a weird cameo before anyone knew him. Uh, like, this is pre-room. And then for the crew, just something little that I like because 
The Vicious Brothers are Canadian, and I've always kind of liked that for Canadian filmmakers, it seems like a tight-knit community, maybe just because that's how it has to be, because there's maybe limited resources and limited people working on it. But both the cinematographer and the composer, uh, the cinematographer Sammy Inouye and Blitz Berlin being the composer, they also both worked on the Canadian production The Void, which I highly recommend. It's awesome. And then Blitz Berlin also did the score for Psycho Gorman, which was a big kind of cult comedy horror from a few years ago as well. Yeah, fantastic. Another great alien film. Oh, yeah. There you go. And when it comes to critical response, Leonard Maltin, unfortunately, did not uh, review this one. But this did get pretty negative results. I think part of that coming off of Grave Encounters, which was well-received. But then I'm kind of—well, I'll read the quote. My favorite quote that I found was from The Guardian, where the final line of their review was, It's all about as pleasurable as the inevitable alien anal probe. Extra terrible, more like. (laughs) (laughs) People really seem to be bothered by, like, oh, it's a lot of just the same alien abduction tropes that you see all the time. Which, you can say that for, like, any movie, like, in, in their genre. If you really break it down, if you want to, there's a lot of tropes that get used over and over again. So I feel like just singling that out doesn't justify itself, I guess. And I, I don't know, maybe you know better. Like, how was this received by the horror community? I really liked it when it came out. I mean, I was part of the Shout Factory era, but this is way dating my age and everything. This was back when I would get the three DVDs from Netflix, like the oh, mail, yeah. in, mail in the DVD and get one back. And I remember renting it and watching it with my husband. And yeah, like we were pretty terrified. And I also loved the originality of it because like you said, yeah, I mean, if you say alien abduction film, Okay, great. Like, what? What is? What are we going to see that isn't something we've seen a thousand times, right? And I just loved how they spun it on its head, where it's like it kind of ends, and you're like, "Oh, that's the end. That's really sad." And then it's like, "Oh shit, no!" Like they said, "No," right when you thought it was going to end or go some specific way, it's like, "Nope," flipping it on its head, and now we got this whole last half. Do you want to get into it? Yeah, I'm ready if you are. Yeah. So the film opens in outer space just above Earth. There are a few shots of miscellaneous debris until we pan out and reveal, this is total Vicious Brothers humor, that it's just screensaver with a constellation in the shape of an erect condom and the words shoot for the stars underneath. As we continue to pan out and realize screensaver's in the convenience store, it's night and it's storming out. So outside... The store, a distressed woman, played by Emily Perkins, a la Ginger Snaps, runs through the rain and approaches the store. The doors are locked. She screams for help. We get this bumbling clerk who apparently is an independent wrestler. They had to make sure. Oh, really? I just wanted to give you that shout out. Yeah, they said he's like an independent wrestler. I don't know to what degree, but Mike Kovac is his name. He turns her away. She takes refuge in a nearby telephone booth. She dials 911, tells the operator that they took them, meaning her boys. And then the line is disconnected, and before she can share where her whereabouts are, the lights inside the booth start flickering, getting her all riled up. There's a really effective shot. Now, I don't know how you feel, Joe, but this is one of those things I would love to see on the big screen, because I think it's just so well done, of basically the camera like rotating around the booth as she's sort mm. of reacting and screaming, and... There's all these lights flashing, and it's it's really chaotic, but it really sets the atmosphere. And it eventually zooms in on her screaming as a red light flashes until it kind of flashes to white. 
And then our idiot clerk steps out of the store to investigate and see what all the racket is and realizes the booth has completely vanished. And so when he turns around to head back into the store, all of a sudden we get sort of this jump scare moment where the phone booth is dropped from the sky, it shatters. And another big shout out is they said they did legitimately film a telephone booth 40 feet up in the air getting dropped. They just said they had to do it in two shots because for the safety of the actor, they didn't want to obviously hit him. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they imposed him in with that in the background. So the next morning, we meet Sheriff Murphy, who is played by... I don't think you mentioned this, did you? I didn't. I didn't know who this was. Gil Bellows. So I know him best from Snow White, Tales of Terror, the movie with Scorny Weaver. Have you ever seen that from the 90s? And Sam Neill's in it? I I remember the, the trailer vividly, but no, I've never seen the movie. Yeah. He is... Definitely my MVH in this movie, my most valuable hottie. <laughs> that was a pleasant surprise for me, just remembering him. So Gil Bellows, aka Sheriff Murphy, arrives on the scene and meets with Clerk and Deputy Mitchell. And this is a Vicious Brothers regular, Sean Rogerson, who's in both Grave Encounters 1 and 2. He's the main lead, well, less than 2 than 1. He's the, the douche that runs Grave Encounters. And I don't know how you feel, Joe, but he is definitely doing the most in this movie with his accent (laughs) and just really going for it. Uh And they did say, they were like, "Uh, yeah, we probably should have just like had him scale back and just had him talk normal because he is the only one with an accent in this film. (laughs) So Murphy meets up with Deputy Mitchell to discuss the events of last night. The clerk, our bumbling clerk, tells him, and I love this line. I had to write it. Sheriff, I'm not going to lie to you. I've done a lot of hallucinogen in my day. But what I saw last night, that shit was out of this world. So Murphy looks over the telephone booth wreckage, finds a wallet. He identifies the woman as Nancy McPherson. Shout hey. out to the McPherson tapes. And asks himself, where did you go? And so we open back up on a shot of April, played by Brittany Allen. And it is a direct shot of her ass. <laughs> it's like right off the bat. like, And they say it even in the commentary. They're like, obligatory shot of her ass. Um, so she's packing, talking to her mom on the phone. When she hangs up, we meet her boyfriend, Kyle, who reveals that the two of them are getting out of town and headed to her family cabin. They're interrupted by a video call from April's dad. And he basically just exposition dumps that April's parents are separating and that she's going to the cabin because they want her to take professional pictures so they can eventually sell the cabin. So his dad then asks for a few mementos, you know, like fishing rod, tackle box, and the double barrel shotgun that's in the basement. (laughs) Set up. Wink, wink. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And then April cuts her dad off, and the two are then interrupted by the apartment buzzer, which surprises the hell out of April. And Kyle admits to her that he invited a few friends to join them at the cabin. And then this is where we meet... The rest of our crew, who's the obnoxious Seth, Jesse Moss, his vapid girlfriend Lex, but my favorite, in my opinion, April's bestie, played by, well, her name, her character's name is Melanie, but the actress's name is actually Melanie as well. And I just want to set up too. So the commentary were both the Vicious Brothers, Brittany Allen, and then Melanie Pepalia. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that. So it was kind of fun to listen to the four of them talk. Hmm. 
So our fivesome hit the road along with Melanie's dog, Rusty. And this is another fun fact. Apparently, the dog that plays Rusty is named Buddy, who apparently was one of the Air Bud dogs. There's so many of those films. I'm sure it's probably not the original Air Bud. I'm sure it's like (laughs) Air Bud goes to space or whatever it is. But... Yeah, then we switch to found footage inside the car as they're making their way to the cabin. Seth is being a complete douche by lighting a Roman candle while shooting it out the moonroof. And I do love, there's this line, I think, they're like, Seth, you fucking idiot. And he's just like, what? There's no one around. We'll be fine. And then they're immediately pulled over, like, like right away. And that's where, you know, we meet Sexy Gail Bellows again, Murphy, who comes out and he is no nonsense from the jump. And he basically is like, yeah, there's been an uptick of disturbances, a.k.a. break-ins, vandals, animals being killed. And he's pretty much just saying it's assholes like you that come from the city during the weekend to party. That's what his theory is, that are probably doing all this. So he's kind of grilling them, saying, like, behave. Let's them off with a warning. So, yes, we follow our crew arriving at the cabin. April is sentimental as everyone else gets settled in. Seth tosses Kyle a beer as 2010's dance music kicks in. Uh, We get a collage of handheld video moments. So there's a pot smoking, dancing by the pool, more Roman candles, grilling, April photographing everyone, Seth being an overall douche. And then meanwhile, we cut back to Murphy, who meets with a farmer, who this farmer is then explaining that his animals are being killed or taken. And he suspects coyotes, but Murphy tells him that the wound on the dead pig that's literally at their feet in front of them is too clean to have been done by an animal. When he returns to his car, he flips the visor down, revealing a picture of a young woman. So then we cut back to Melanie April, who are walking through the woods, taking Rusty for a walk. Melanie's very complimentary of Kyle, And April's a little hesitant about taking those compliments, revealing that she's unsure about their relationship, mostly because she doesn't want to be one of those girls that marries her high school sweetheart and has a cookie-cutter life, or also implied that, you know, her parents' divorce isn't helping with her whole outlook on relationships. So Rusty kind of interrupts them by aggressively barking. He breaks loose. So the girls chase after him, and then they run into a private road that is gated. And in this, in my opinion, is a very effective visual again. There are all kinds of private property signs over the gate, along with this really creepy scarecrow dressed in a suit and tie wearing a Nixon mask. And that alone, I remember the first time I saw this, I was like, oh, this is going to be some Jeepers Creeper shit where there's like someone in that <laughs> mask and outfit pretending to be the scarecrow. Unfortunately... That doesn't really play out. Also, it'd be pretty stupid if we saw one of the aliens doing that. Um, <laughs> but so the girls slip under the fence to chase after Rusty and inevitably find a tent full of weed, like meaning pot growing. And Melanie decides this is way more important than finding her dog and attempts to try to pocket some. Uh, then the girls are immediately confronted by a paranoid man giving us, in my opinion, the best My Bloody Valentine Harry Warden vibes. And he's holding an axe. And then it's revealed to be Travis, a.k.a. Michael Ironside, who recognizes April and introduce, reintroduces himself to her. And then we eventually learn as they kind of relax and are chatting, that he's this kooky Vietnam vet recluse who believes in staying off the grid and that, quote-unquote, they are out there and, quote, watching you. Mm. So Melanie asks if she can buy some weed, and they're off. So we head back to the cabin. We're Lex. She's awkwardly explaining how she and Seth met, and it's basically this implied she's an airhead, she's vapid, she has no personality. 
because April and Melanie are looking at each other in disgust while Kyle eventually pulls April aside. And when he leads her into a bedroom and closes the door, he gets down on one knee and nervously asks her to marry him. She tells them about this job that she got in New York that starts in a month. And man, what a burn. Because he immediately is like, babe, why don't you tell me? I don't have enough time to transfer. And she gives them this look like, I didn't expect you to come with me. And the shit has hit the fan. Because Kyle then realizes, oh, she doesn't want to be with me. And she never intended on moving with me. So he's pissed. He storms out of the room with April hot on his heels. And that's when, you know, if it couldn't get any worse, Lex, Seth, and Melanie are out there waiting with champagne and yell surprise and have a congratulations sign hanging up. And that's when Kyle just tears through it, basically letting them know, like, this didn't go down the way it probably should have. So we cut back to Murphy as he's watching the surveillance footage of Nancy's disappearance. There's a flash of light, and then the footage cuts out. So... The sleuth he is, he starts rewinding the video, pauses it while the phone booth is in midair and is kind of like, whoa, something's going on. So we get more of Seth's handheld footage accompanied with the line, welcome to the gayest surprise party ever, which is very 2010, because I can't imagine that a film would have a line like that today and have mm-hmm. people be happy about it. But he brings us up to speed, basically explaining there's no phone, TV or cell service and oh, shock his girl is on the rag, Joe. Oh, like, no. Uh, it's the worst thing for him, right? Poor Seth. <laughs> so we also get a hammered Kyle who is fighting with April and continuously drinking, going off about their, you know, his the concept of relationships. And as soon as she says, at the end of the day, we're all just alone in the universe, the entire gang then sees a red flash across the sky, an explosion followed by an explosion in the woods. Mm. And instead of leaving well enough alone, they all decide to check it out. And I wrote, drive, Kyle? After he was just (laughs) drinking, like, a lot of alcohol and acting really inebriated. Apparently, this just totally sobered him up. And I get it. They're in the woods in the middle of nowhere. But still, like, what if it was a plane? And someone was like, help me. And then they just, boom, he just barreled (laughs) through that poor person. Now it's I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, they go to check it out. They do find a crashed UFO and try rationalizing that it's, well, Melanie says this. She's like, maybe it's a military plane like uh, Travis was saying earlier. And then clearly it's not. So as they're trying to sort of figure out what to do, Lex and Seth are off on their own to the side and they find footprints leading into the woods and they call everyone over and rightfully so, they're all terrified. Uh, So they go back to the cabin we get a shot of Melanie popping a pill as Seth's downing some booze and the rest of the gang are fighting about what they think they just saw. April reminds them that the footsteps were leading towards their cabin. So yeah, like, why would we go back to it? Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> and they vote to get the fuck out of there. And immediately the power's cut due to the storm. And every <laughs> this another question, like, everybody follows April into the basement to fix the breaker? <laughs> I mean, I understand for the sake of the story. And I guess, like, if April's going and Kyle's like, I'll be with you, and then Melanie's probably like, yeah, me too. If you were Seth and Lexi, would you be like, yeah, let's just stay up here? Like, no. I guess at that point, you'd be like, yeah, let's all just not be separated. They go down to the basement, and this is a very heartbreaking scene. Even though you don't see anything, 
Uh, they do hear Rusty aggressively barking at something upstairs. And then, of course, they have to have a squeal. And this, is, again, is classic Vicious Brothers. He's like, well, man, I really love the way this sound design worked. And they're like, what do you mean? They're like, yeah, like the way you can tell that the dog was just thrown across the room by something and hitting a wall. <laughs> I was just like, oh, my God. And they even said that. They're like, Jesus Christ. Like, Brittany and, and Melanie, they're like, you're horrible. So they're all properly freaked out. Because they know something just attacked the dog. And it's, you know, pounding around upstairs. And that's when April remembers her shotgun that we had exposition earlier and leads the gang back upstairs in her sort of, like, heroin moment. Because we get this kind of, like, scene where Kyle's trying to fuck around with the gun and she has to do her best, like, Linda Hamilton to be like, I got it. And it's just like, bam, 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 bam. Loads it, cocks it, goes upstairs. So she's got the gun. They're all going one by one kind of up the stairs. And they notice that the front door is wide open. A few things are turned over. And then during one of the lightning flashes from the storm, Kyle then sees the alien standing outside the glass patio door directly behind April. And there's this pretty effective shot of like him reacting and her looking at his reaction and slowly turning around and immediately, like a boss, shooting at that fucking alien. So the group go outside to investigate because the alien's MIA and they eventually kind of follow this trail of black blood to the pool and find the alien slowly sinking in the pool. And this is one shot that one of the Vicious Brothers did say. They were like, oh, this is where we wish that we had an actual statue or something, you know, like something made up because they're really unhappy with the way it looked when it was sinking in the pool. I thought it was effective, but it's fine. Um, So they abruptly hightail it out of there after they see the alien sinking, and they are stopped by a tree blocking the road down the street. April, Seth, and Kyle exit the car while Melanie and Lex stay inside. And this is where April notices that the tree was perfectly cut at at the base. And in one of my favorite effects, so this is another one, Joe, that I, I think would be really amazing to see like on a big screen. So Seth is standing not far away from April and Kyle. And he notices that the rain over overhead them has stopped, but only directly over the three of them. And they basically, Melanie and Lex, who are in the car, the rain is still pouring rain a few feet away from them. It's hard for me to explain it. So something's amiss because he's kind of just walking out of this clearing and then reaches his hand through like a curtain of rain. Mm-hmm. And that's when he's like, oh, Duh, something must be blocking the rain. And he looks up and then they all realize as a big red light flashes like, there's a huge UFO hovering above them. Yeah, I think this is the best sequence in the film. That sudden freak out moment of realizing like, oh, it stopped raining. Wait, it's still raining over there. So. Yeah, and surprise, it's a UFO and yeah. it's scary as but I mean, it's huge. And the UFO then immediately shoots at the car, rendering it useless. The others run and hide inside. But the one thing that doesn't make sense to me yeah. is why Lex, the only one who was already in the car runs out they run in she runs out and then just stands out in the open staring up at this spaceship until eventually gee i wonder what's going to happen oh she's hit with a beam of light and abducted it's funny about just lex making just a terrible decision here because that happens in fire in the sky too the guy who gets abducted he's just like hanging out in this field while everyone else is in the truck yelling at him and the scene goes on for a long time it's like what are you doing just yeah Right. I remember that specifically because his is even worse in Fire in the Sky because at least Lex, she's not that far away from the car. 
and you're still in the woods. The guy in Fire in the Sky literally goes out to a clearing in the woods with yeah. nothing covering him. Like he is just ripe for the picking. Yeah. What's your plan here? So, yep, she's abducted. No loss really here. I mean, it's sad because you just apply, implied like, well, something bad's happening to her or maybe she's entombed forever, but she doesn't have much of a personality for us to care. So yeah. that rightfully riles them all up and they're like, nope, and then run away through the woods. And so we're cutting back to Murphy, who finds this abandoned camper in the woods. He watches footage from a video camera that he finds, and it's of Nancy and her family. And this is the scene that, like, I didn't put two and two together the first few times I watched this for some reason, that it was the same person from the beginning. Mm. Because she looks so different. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. So while Murphy's looking at this footage, we see it's Nancy and her family... And it kind of plays out like them camping, them having a good old sing-along around the campfire, and then eventually spotting a mysterious light in the sky, followed by footage of her son, Maddie, Jacob Tremblay, pointing at the sky and immediately getting abducted before it cuts to black. So Murphy's startled by a noise. He finds the discombobulated Nancy inside the camper. He kind of calms her down. And then she tells him that they, quote-unquote, took her husband and son to which Murphy asks who, and she says, in my opinion, one of the most effective lines in the entire movie, her performance, when she says, who do you think? Like, she's just so <laughs> rattled for looking upwards. And then she continues to tell him, basically as she's loaded into an ambulance later when they, they're called and come to attend to her, that he has to help the others and that they, meaning the aliens, bring most people back, but not everyone, and that there's hundreds of people still alive, and some of them have been up there for years, maybe even their whole lives. So that's, I feel like, pretty powerful, like, for that imagery to be in your mind. But um, Murphy then returns to his car, and that's where we see the missing poster. It's kind of this beat-up missing poster that says, Missing Catherine Murphy. And it's the image of that same woman we saw earlier on his visor. So back to our core four, they find Travis basically run into his compound and they turn to him for help. They show him the video of the crash UFO. And I love that he's just not surprised and explains <laughs> that, oh, anyone that's worked with the U.S. government already knows they have a treaty with the aliens ever since Roswell. And he's like smoking a cigarette and acting so cool. I love it. And he says the aliens can do whatever they want as long as they let humans run around and act like they own the world. There's only one rule that you can't engage with them. And so he goes on to explain, since you killed an alien, they're out for blood. And then Melanie notices something on Travis's radar. The lights are cut again, explains that one of the ships must have landed. And then our foursome are once again on the lamb while Travis stays behind to defend his land. And this is a pretty great line too, Joe, when he says, come and piece my ass. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that is, that's a great Michael Ironside line. Yeah, his whole performance is great. We do get this great little effect of cat and mouse between Travis and the alien. And he ends up hiding under a table, kind of shooting at the alien when it jumps, you know, when it's walking around. So it ends up jumping on top of the table that he's hiding under. He shoots through the table, and then there immediately we have some black blood dripping down, making him think that he's won. And then he makes the fatal mistake of crawling out to get the others, quote-unquote. And that's when basically an alien hand palms his face, and his fate is left ambiguous. So we're back at the cabin. And there's an abrupt pounding outside the front door. We get a pretty effective jump scare as April looks out the peephole and then oh, realizes yeah. <laughs> that the alien is looking through the other, you know, on the other end of it. Seth grabs the shotgun and she's like, oh my God, it's on the other side. And the door handles kind of jiggling. 
And then the door is eventually like forced open and Seth just blindly fires off some shots. And that's when, twist, we learn that it's actually Murphy and Deputy Mitchell who are on red alert because clearly there is some psychotic kid shooting at them. And Mitchell cuffs Seth while Murphy questions April. And Melanie's giving her two cents too, but she's basically like, I mean, this performance is phenomenal when they're like screaming, like trying to explain everything that's going on. Mitchell points out that there are narcotics and alcohol everywhere, and he just thinks that they're high. April tells them she can prove it and tells them about the alien corpse in the pool. Melanie then knocks back another pill. I do love that. It's just this, like, I can't handle, I can't deal, I need another pill. So April, Kyle Murphy head to the pool to prove the alien exists. And when they get there, of course, the corpse is gone. They hear a noise in the barn nearby, and Murphy basically is like, do you have another one here? And they said, nope, it's just us. And so he immediately tells them to go back to the house while he checks out the disturbance. And if it wasn't bad enough, he's investigating the barn. He finds Rusty's body. And it would be one thing if it was like a stuffed dog. But they said, yep, indeed, it was the dog just playing dead. And even like Melanie and Brittany Allen were like, don't you know that you are like, committing the cardinal sin of killing a dog in a, in a movie. Like, everybody could care less about the people, but once you kill a dog, like, you're done. That was my reaction. It's like, not cool. Didn't need that. Yeah, that's the one thing I don't love, and I, this is why I could never show it to my friend Katie, because she just can literally cannot handle any sort of like, animal violence. So, yeah, as he finds the dog's body, there's sort of a brush with the little alien friend who bum rushes through the barn and jumps out the door and through the woods. And that's when Murphy's like, oh, shit. And so he returns to the squad car where we see basically Mitchell before. OK, before he returns to the car, Mitchell's taunting Seth about being probed while he's cuffed in the back seat, And that's when Murphy returns and tells Mitchell they're telling the truth. And Mitchell then spots his wife's missing poster and is convinced that Murphy's not thinking straight because he's just relating this to his past trauma of his missing wife. And Murphy then goes on to explain the storyline of she fell asleep next to him and when he woke up, she was gone. She didn't take any of her clothes, money, or keys, and the doors were all locked from the inside. And he is not convinced that she could have done that and just got the, the hell out of there. Murphy flips on the headlights then, and this is another kind of jump scare surprise moment because we see one of our angry aliens standing just in the middle of the road staring at them, and it reaches out and starts getting in his head. And that was a thing that was clued in earlier. I think I think it was Emily Perkins' um, character who's basically said, they'll get in your head or something like that. And so this is kind of what I think she was implying or setting up is that the alien's reaching out and then we get these really effective shots. I don't know how you felt, Joe, but it's like very chaotic where it's like a zoom in on Deputy Mitchell's face and he's like all in red, I think. And then he's like screaming and shaking his head. It's very like music video, 1990s, Nine Inch Nail era, like <laughs> style footage in my opinion. But I think it's implying that they're taking over his brain and like making him do these terrible things, which is, includes turning the gun on his partner, Mitchell, shooting him, and then essentially just blowing off his own head. What? And that is the moment where that's, I think, the Vicious Brothers making their statement saying, you thought this was going to be the main protagonist that would save the day because he's the sheriff and he's coming to this conclusion about his wife, but instead he's dead. 
You'll never get to know what's going on with his wife. So one of the other things that I do love is this nasty humor because after, you know, Murphy shoots himself, all of the gore just goes immediately on Seth's face. Which, if this had to happen to any character, I'm so glad it's happening to this one. And then immediately he's jump-scared by April, who's like, are you okay? So then we go back to the cabin. Seth explains what the aliens did to Murphy, basically saying that they got in his head. He refuses to let them do that to him. He loses his goddamn mind, takes control of the gun, tells Melanie and Kyle to come with him, and demands April stay, since this is all her fault. Of course they refuse. He basically gives them the finger and pieces out because he's like, fine, you can all stay here and die. And once he leaves, the entire cabin begins to shake. This is another effective scene I was saying I'd love to see in theaters where we get different colored lights illuminating outside of the cracks of the barricades. There's this loud high-pitched noise that is like painfully deafening. And then when it stops, Kyle suggests they retreat to the basement. And then as soon as April and Melanie are on the other side of the door, he barricades them in and tells April, because he's trying to be the hero, that they're not going to get her. And the front door blasts open. This is when we get actually a good view, like a good clear view of our alien standing in the doorway. And so Kyle's basically like taunting the alien to have it follow him. He hides upstairs in a clawfoot tub and draws the curtains, thinking that will make a difference, and eventually tries to defend himself but is attacked. And I will give him props. While I'm not a huge Kyle fan, because I feel like he doesn't really have much to do in this, he's just kind of this sad puppy dog in the film. But I will say this is a moment where I felt he had redeeming qualities because he's in that clawfoot tub, right? The curtain's all around him. Immediately when the door opens, he like pops out with that knife and is just stabbing. I'm like, good for you. But the joke was on him because there was nothing there until eventually it crashed through the mirror and That was the last we saw of him for now. So we cut to a brutal scene. Not the worst, but a brutal scene where Seth is wandering around the woods and all he has is a glow stick for light. And the idiot is hearing cracking. This is our classic Blair Witch, you know, sticks cracking in the woods. He can't see shit. And he's just stupidly firing off shots blindly in the night towards the sound till the gun is emptied. And not that it would have done that much of a difference, but at the very least, save one for yourself, (laughs) right? (laughs) I mean, I know he probably isn't counting, but Jesus, he's, of course, after the gun is empty, attacked by this alien. He's pulled off screen, and this is pretty effective because there's some terrifying sound effects, in my opinion, because he's being attacked. You just hear screaming and this thing growling and scary until he... um, rejoins us on screen crawling for help. And this was, I just put a note, this was the Vicious Brothers saying they full-on paid homage to the opening of the X-Files movie where the alien attacked them in the pit. And they were like crawling and then got pulled. So as he's kind of like crawling to freedom, because now the aliens just disappeared, this red light illuminates above him. And in the most clever thing in the movie, I've always thought this, okay? Like, if you're being abducted, tie yourself down to something yeah. to avoid getting pulled up into the sky, right? But again, in Vicious Brothers' classic fashion, they have a twist on this. Because Seth has the right idea. He's got this one handcuff hanging off his wrist. He handcuffs the one empty cuff to a tree limb. The bright light shines over him, but unfortunately for him... All that we get then is a shot of the severed hand still handcuffed to the tree. And it essentially is just saying like, yeah, that's not going to help because it's apparently so forceful that it just ripped him straight from his own arm. So that is probably one of my favorite things in the movie because it's 
it's very powerful imagery, like brutal. Yeah, just this like neatly sliced arm hanging off from the tree. Yeah, just yeah. swinging on a tree limb. So at the cabin, we got April and Melanie cowering under this red lit window. And this by far is probably my favorite scene because th- we got this incoherent Melanie at this point, And she's recollecting on better times at the cabin with April. And then it's revealed as she drops her pill bottle that she's taken all of the pills and that it's completely empty. And that's when she full on just apologizes and then admits to her that she took all the pills and says, like, I don't want to go up there. <laughs> like, I don't want them to take me. Someone's seen fire in the sky. And so, you know, and then immediately she says, you know, I'm really tired and basically dies in April's arms. And I wrote, this is the best scenario for any of these characters because if I was in this situation, while I don't love the idea of like shooting myself with a gun, I think going out by like an overdose of pills and I'm not, I'm not encouraging this by any means, but I say in this scenario, like this is exactly what I would be doing. I would hunker down somewhere and be like, well, I'm not, going up there like i'm not going up there even if okay if i was in seth's situation i think i probably would just say that like if the alien was standing up right in front of me i'd say no i'm not going up there and then shoot myself and then be done that's the end you can't know and this is kind of a bummer for me because i remember like thinking she was probably my favorite character in the movie Mm. because she is pretty much the most realist character i mean like april's fine she's a little too uh, melodrama for me, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, my job, and oh, I don't want to be like my parents. Where, like, Melanie's just like, I just want to smoke some weed, and I just want to, like, <laughs> hang out, I want to just chill. And then she sees all this crazy shit, and she's like, no, 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 I'm not dealing with this. The tree's cut, I'm staying in the car, like, right. I'm not going out there. You know, she's not saying this, but I think she's the most reasonable character out of all. Yeah. So I'm glad that this is the way she went out because I would have been really sad to see her abducted or brutally killed. So at this point, April really has nothing to lose. She's like, well, my friend's dead. My boyfriend's upstairs. God knows if he's alive. She notices the red glow under the basement door has dissipated. So she forces her way out of the basement. The power comes back on. All is calm. She finds this really bloody trail, which is pretty surprising. I'm like, is he still alive? Because there is a lot of blood trailing out the front door. And next to it is her engagement ring. And that's when it suddenly just totally hits her. She rushes outside, spots the UFO flying away, and she's screaming to it not to go. And then immediately runs inside, grabs some fireworks, and shoots it off in its direction to get its attention. But eventually just kind of like, floats off screen and she's meanwhile screaming come get me and collapses she apologizes to kyle and is completely given up hope and at this point i remember thinking that's the end of the movie again this is a vicious brothers situation they're like well that's all folks thanks for coming they're all gone it's the end but wait twist the ship has returned and immediately lights her up and she's like okay this is happening and closes her eyes and she's taken aboard So I remember loving this when I first saw it, because again, the way they marketed this is it's like, it's, it's just an alien attacks movie and that's all you get. And then when she woke up similar to like uh, fire in the sky, where they have that sort of like cocoon, like 
creepiness of like being suffocating. She basically wakes up in the ship in this black mucus-like cocoon and fights her way out um, and starts wandering through the ship. But like, it is so effective in my opinion, just the effects. I, I love it. And then um, while she's walking around the ship, the ball's on her, I'm telling you. We, catch, <laughs> we then unfortunately catch back up with Seth, who is now naked, strapped vertically to a table and screaming in agony as he sees his arm is totally missing from his body. And then this creepy, terrifying machine starts up from behind. Well, no, it's in front of him at first. It shoots these metal bug-like devices at him, which gives me like major Matrix vibes, you know, Mm -hmm. when those things go into Neo. They crawl into his belly button and then he's immediately branded with this creepy triangle like laser imprint on his skin. Kept by probably the most brutal scene in the entire movie, him being turned around and brutally aimly probed with the spinning drill that obviously kills him. But like, it is so effective because it's not enough that we have to see it like literally like going right towards the ass, but like then this close-up shot of like his face and him reacting as like he's shaking and moving. And again, good old Vicious Brothers, they were like, you wouldn't believe the length of time grown men discussed how much blood and shit should be (laughs) shooting out from that injury. It's like, we spent a lot of time talking about it. And then, in fact, they did go on to say that a lot of um, countries banned, like they have a restricted version of this film that did, that cut out this specific scene. And the reason they knew about it, I think they said Malaysia, is that people were saying like, we want to see the director's cut. And they were like, what do you mean the director's cut? And they were like, oh, it's the countries that are trimming the footage from the film because of violence restrictions. Oh. So, yes, fortunately, Seth has probably the most brutal death on here, but it is, I think, a wink-wink, nudge-nudge, Vicious Brothers, like, dream come true here, just being <laughs> totally over the top. And then uh, we cu- catch back up with April, who fares a little better. Because she's discovered she's in a tunnel system that exists amongst hundreds of thousands of other tunnels. But she, as she's kind of walking through these hallways, she sees other people enclosed in their own little black mucus pods. And she even sees this half-alien, half-human at one point, which is pretty creepy, that concept. Because you just don't know the backstory and you're like, God, I don't want to know what that is. As it opens its eyes for a moment, she drops the flashlight which then conveniently shines on Kyle's body, which is directly behind her. So she digs him out, performs mouth-to-mouth, resuscitates him. She tells him, where you go, I go. And then their joy is short-lived because they are discovered by three aliens, and the two then immediately just accept their fate, I can imagine, because they close their eyes and embrace as one of the aliens raises its claws. And then April and Kyle wake up in this beautiful, sunny field in each other's arms. And I love that Melanie, the actress Melanie now at this point, because she's not in the film, not the character, even clocks this. She's like, I'm getting major Twilight vibes. And the Vicious Brothers are like, why? What are they they doing? And she's like, it's just got this like scene that looks like that where like Bella and Edward are out in this beautiful forest in the middle of nowhere and the sun's shining. And so they... Our lovers do realize their home and embrace. I guess, fun fact, when they're walking through the woods in the scene, it's the same exact place that they shot the scenes with Scorpion from the original Mortal Kombat. When he's oh, in the really? woods and he's like, get over here. Yeah, I love That's that. Awesome. Yeah, 
They're walking hand in hand. The Book of Love by the Magnetic Field plays. They hear someone in the woods nearby and yell for help. April sees some people, starts waving her arms and rushing towards them. Meanwhile, we get an apprehensive Kyle who's actually surveilling the situation and realizes it's the military who are armed with gas masks and guns, or dressed with gas masks and armed with guns. And in a slow motion shot, most heartbreaking moment of the film, April is shot in the stomach while Kyle runs to her saying, no, don't stop, and immediately gunned down as well. And then the two lovers lie next to each other, staring into each other's eyes, the pain on Kyle's face as he's like, basically realizing, like, we're dying. As April removes her engagement ring from her pocket and hands it to Kyle, he slips it on her finger as she mouths, I love you. And they get literally, Joe, like a second. It feels like a second to stare into each other's eyes before they're shot multiple times and then immediately killed. I did not see this coming the first time I saw it. It was, like, unrelenting. And of course, again, these vicious brothers have a sick, twisted dark humor because one of them was like yeah you know what i really wish is that scene where it pans out and britney says i love you and then we see her staring at kyle he's like i wish that we would have just seen like uh, the handgun slowly come into frame right (laughs) above her head and it's just like god she even's like you're horrible but then um we get a military officer Talking to a man in black, I have to imagine this is sort of like an X-Files homage too, right? Because isn't that a whole thing, like the cigarette smoking man? Yeah. And he tells them that's the last of them, and then explains that the ship went down due to storms, and he asks, what should we do with the bodies? To which the man in black says, the same thing we always do. And then Spirit in the Sky kicks in as the camera pulls back. And we see soldiers and people in hazmat suits cleaning up the crash wreckage. There's a medical tent where an alien's being treated. Then we cut back to Kyle and April's bodies being thrown into a pit. And then there's a quick shot of them in the pit, basically like in a lover's spoon, like they're dead, but they're like spooning before two men just immediately stand over them and use a flamethrower to ignite the pit. The camera pans up to the sky. Military helicopters fly overhead and we fade out. And that's the film. So, I guess it's interesting seeing it again now that I've done a little research on the Vicious Brothers. And I guess also just like going through this episode and hearing what you've said about them as well makes me appreciate it a little more. Because there are parts of this that I really enjoy, and there are parts of whatever. I'm not a fan of the ending. I feel it's very Night of the Living Dead. And then the whole Man in Black thing and blah, blah, blah. Where would you have liked it to cap? Like, Right when she ship flies away, we don't see anything, and that's the end. And it's kind of like this bittersweet, like boohoo moment. Or would you have rather had it been like, oh, they woke up, and that's you know they're happy, and that's the end? I mean, that's tough. I mean, my, I I would have maybe liked it when it's flying away. But then, I mean, I do appreciate what they do with the alien ship. But and and I guess like this is I'll give give it some credit where like. The Vicious Brothers really wanted to do the anal probe scene. Sure. I did not like that scene at all. I think the little robot thing that pops out is the villain from WALL-E. Uh, <laughs> and it just seemed like too much. What I thought Seth's final appearance was going to be was the shaved off arm hanging on the tree. I'm like, that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm like, all right, but you're doing this now. Whatever. From my perspective, I do appreciate that it feels like they're preying on... I'm not speaking for every man, but a lot of male fears, me speaking as a gay man, like, this just seems to be a lot of, like, 
I mean, that's the joke, but it also is like a legitimate fear of men. So, I mean, it is unique is that you don't usually see, uh, I can't think of another UFO movie or alien abduction movie where they actually go right for the anal probe <laughs> yeah. sh- uh, scene. So, I mean, I, I get like it's Seth and we are like kind of like tongue in cheek laughing like, oh, this is an asshole and he deserves it. But like, I don't know. I, I also think like it doesn't make much sense because if they're testing, it's like, well, yeah, what test are you doing? What <laughs> is it? Yes. They're just like, legi- they're just like, we're just going to kill like, you now. Like, yeah, it's, it's not an anal probe. It is just a drill. <laughs> yeah. It's legitimately a drill. Like it would be one thing like, yeah, maybe if it wasn't a drill, if it was just something like smooth that went up there, it was like awkwardly uncomfortable for him. You get and a, a slide whistle sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> and just see his face. Still. Oh God, Joe, you should re-edit this and add that. No, I, I mean, I, and I know that they did mention too, that, they had so much that they wanted to do in the inside of the ship, but because they were so low, not so low budget, because of the budget, they weren't able to explore as much. So they did say, like, one of the things they didn't love, but that they accepted was that, like, there's a shot where April sees, like, all the ships flying and kind of coming into a hub. And they said, like, oh, you know, right. do a little bit of, like, an Independence Day type thing where it's, like, showing you all that. But one of the things that they said was in the original script that they wished that they could have incorporated, but they didn't have the time or the money to do, is they said there was apparently some finality to what was happening to Tra- what happened to Travis. And so what they said was at some point April was going to fall into a pit of bodies and Michael Ironside was going to be there and like reach up and grab her. And there was going to be more of a resolution of like what happened to him rather than just like, oh, alien slap. And then that's Um, the end. So anyway, moving on. Are you ready for challenge time, Joe? Oh, gosh, I hope so. I'm glad we have a basket pick. I hope I'm not too out of it. I'm recovering from COVID at the moment, so we'll see how. <laughs> While I realize this may not be your go-to genre, there is a lot to pick from. Okay. So it should be easy even if you're just like, eh, I just want to pick something. But yeah. no pressure. If you're not feeling it, I won't tell you what to do. So, <laughs> the section, are you ready? I am ready. The section of the video store you must choose a video from is a teen sex comedy. Ooh. Because we haven't talked about this genre at all. I mean, maybe some films qualify as this, but it is a very specific genre. Yeah, that's... Hmm. Okay. Are you ready for the minute? Uh, I'm ready. All right, go. Well, because, like, yeah, it's a matter of, like, what exactly is qualifies as the sex. I mean, the American Pie movies especially. Uh, but, like, is super bad. Uh... Or, or the fuck? What was the? Uh, what were the eighties ones? The there Porky's. are a lot of yeah. Porky's is the one that I'm. Uh, Euro trip, road trip. There were a lot of Porky's. And when I specify, I just want to say like it's they're not they don't have to be played by teens. They're just supposed to be teens. So this is obviously like our nineties era too, where like they clearly were played by thirty year olds that are playing <laughs> teens. But um. Is Can't Hardly Wait a sex comedy? I don't... Not really, no. no I don't just, know, that's more of a party movie, I think. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't put... I and mean, that would be the one that would All stick right. out. Five seconds. Five seconds? I don't know, let's go what's in the basket. Nothing's sticking out over 
others for me, I will say. Okay. So Are I, you I sure? yeah. I'm not I wouldn't I'd just be picking at random, I feel. So I will I will go with your expertise in teen sex comedy. Okay, well, there are a lot to pick from. I mean, we haven't even talked about, like, Weird Science is one, like the John Hughes oh, film. Yeah. That's not my pick. There's, like, Easy A, Superbad, Blockers. There's... God, can it just not be Easy A? I hate that movie. No, no, no. It's on TV not. all the time. It's not. Uh, I promise. And so, so The Basket, what is in The Basket? What is in The is Basket? Is the film The To-Do List, with starring Aubrey Plaza, who has had a resurgence. Ooh, it's got a lot of people. Bill Hader, there's um, Rachel Bilson. I think this is like a critically underrated film that had me rolling when I watched it. And in fact, I've made multiple people watch this film because it kind of squeaked by in theaters with little to no reception in my, from what I remember. And then I remember renting it and thinking... God damn, this movie is fucking hilarious. Excuse my language, but it, it's so, it is so funny in my opinion. Because it takes place in the 1990s and it's basically Aubrey Plaza playing a high school girl who's like this nerdy mathlete essentially. Like she's a valedictorian who wants to excel at everything. And the one thing she hasn't excelled in is having sex. Mm. So she wants to learn everything she can about sex before she can actually have sex. So she vows to do every sexual act that she can to prepare her for having actual sex. And there's a lot of ridiculousness in this movie, but it is like peak Aubrey Plaza in that like Parks and Rec era dry humor. Mm. And this is before obviously Happiest Season and her recent White Lotus stint and all of that. So just kind of imagine that dry Parks and Rec humor carrying over to a feature-length film. Looking at it now, like, yeah, I had no idea about this movie. Oh, I'm so glad this worked out in my favor because I wanted to talk <laughs> about it for a really long time. So I hope that you enjoy this as much as I do. And this movie is free on Pluto, apparently, so our listeners can watch it before the episodes. So. Oh, perfect. Well, great. Yeah, I'm excited to check it out. So, listeners, if you like what you've heard, please leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Uh, for upcoming release info and other updates, check us out uh, at Video Dropbox Podcast on Instagram, and you can also reach us at Podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, remember to be kind and please rewind.